Our epistle reading this morning is from Ephesians chapter 2. And you he made alive, who were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, amongst, among whom we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God, who was rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up together, and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Thus far the reading of God's word. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Pray with me, please. Father, as we open your word today, we pray that you would open our hearts, that we would see your son Jesus, and we would see all of your grace and kindness toward us in him. We have the boldness to ask for this because we pray in Jesus' name, and amen. amen. Please be seated. Good morning. It's a pleasure to worship with you all again on this Lord's Day. Um, I just want to say thank you again for your warmth and, and hospitality. It's been a wonderful weekend. It's good to see you all again. Um, my wife, Rachel, also sends her greetings. And uh, we are very appreciative of your prayers for us and for our daughter who is soon to be born. Um, actually, I've had my phone off in the service, so we'll see afterward if perhaps I have a daughter uh, <laughs> born that I didn't know about. Um, but it's, it's wonderful to be with you. It's wonderful to worship with, um, with this family, and I appreciate it very much. As we consider our epistle reading this morning, Ephesians 2, uh, verses 1 through 10, it's a theologically rich text. It's a very dense text. If this text were a, a loaf of banana bread, it would weigh something like 15 pounds. There's just, there's so much in here. Um, and, I, and I point that out as we start just to say that entire series, entire books have been written on these verses and the ideas in these verses. And so we're necessarily going to need to um, highlight or focus in on certain aspects of Ephesians 2 verses 1 through 10. Um, and so we're going to need to pick certain aspects of it to focus on. So I, I want to be uh, faithful to the scope of the text. In it, Paul writes everything um, going from death to life, 
Um, all of salvation of man in Christ from death to resurrection is in here. And so we want to be faithful to the scope, um, but we will need to focus on things. So as an overview, this section has three basic moves. The first segment describes the condition of man prior to regeneration or prior to being in Christ. That's verses 1 through 3. The second is a treatment of God's grace and how it works in such people. That's verses 4 through 6. And the third is a description of the aim that God had in working that transformation. So we're going to go from um, the condition of man outside of Christ uh, before Christ to God's grace in working the transformation in mankind to why, why God did this transformation. But what I want to focus our attention on today is found in verse 5. If you look at verse 5, it says, Even when we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ. Alive together with Christ, which is where the, our sermon title came from, because um, this encompasses what these verses are about. Um, we are dead, God makes us alive. But what I want to point out is that he makes us alive with Christ, in Christ, together with Christ. As we look through the passage, everything that God does for us, he does in Christ. It puts the emphasis of our hope and our faith back on God in Christ. It shows us that what we, were need, that what we need is that we were dead and that we can only have the life that we need by being united with Christ. The subtitle for this sermon could have been the parentheses in verse 5. By grace you have been saved through faith. Because our union with Christ, our identity with Christ, is foundational to that gospel message that we believe that we are saved by grace through faith. So Christ is basic to our message of salvation by grace. Or to put it another way, I want to drive it home in saying that whatever good God does for his people, whatever good God does for his people, he will not do it apart from Christ. For Paul, our union with Christ is not something for theological sophisticates to debate or um, something for treatises to be written on. He uses that term, in Christ, with Christ, um, together with Christ over 170 times in his epistles. And 30 of those instances are here in Ephesians. So the idea of being united with Christ for him is foundational. It's something for um, new Christians, um, babes in Christ, um, the newest of believers to know this union that they have with him, with Jesus, is everything to us. It's the basis of our um, all of our theology. It's the basis of our Christian living. It's something for the newest Christians to know. We are to look to Christ in faith. We are in him, and he is our salvation in a real way. So that's what, we want, that's what I want to focus on today. But it kind of brings up the question, like, surely we don't, we don't need to, to stress this. Surely we all know this. We are Christians, right? We this is Christianity, Christianity. But Christians of all people need to have their attention refocused on Jesus constantly. As we learn and we grow in our theology, 
and our understanding of the word and our understanding of life together and worship, there are good um, things, even vital things. Um, our Bible knowledge, our um, theology, our Christian living, grace, the gospel, um, covenant theology, all of these things can easily begin to edge Jesus out of our mind. We consider them as abstract principles in and of themselves. Even something like the cross can get abstracted from Jesus as if it had some power on its own to save us apart from Christ. If we're not careful, Jesus can become like the Domino's delivery boy. As when, when the doorbell rings and the Domino's guy is there, you're happy to see him, but you don't open the door and say, good, it's Tim. You're like, good, it's the pizza I ordered. It's the thing that I wanted. We don't want to have good and vital things edge Jesus out of our lives as if he is someone that is just bringing us things that we want, like salvation or favor or God's grace. Jesus is the grace of God for us. So we're going to consider God's salvation of sinners, paying careful attention to the fact of verse 5, that this salvation is in Christ. My hope is that Jesus would continue to become more central for you, that you might know him better and we might enter into his joy. And so we're going to simply work our way through the text and then we're going to um, focus on being in Christ. So starting in verse 2, it says, You he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit, who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. So we're beginning with our condition, the condition of man prior to being in Christ. Paul gives us the general heading that prior to Christ we are dead, verse 1. And when you think about it, how could we be anything else? John chapter 1 verse 4 teaches us that in Jesus, in him was life. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Or in John 5.26 it says that just as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself. So to be outside of Christ, as we all once were, is to be in a state of death. It's to be in trespasses and sins, or as Paul puts it there, dead. But notice, it's the kind of death that you can walk around in. As we look, as we look around at our community, as the town around us, everyone seems to be working and living and um, going about their business, and yet Paul says that we're dead. And he's highlighting that this is a, a spiritual death, that it's a, um, our condition apart from God. We can have physical life while being alienated from God in death. Um, and this really underscores that our position apart from Christ is, is hopeless. A, apart from Christ in our own self um, is hopeless. And he, he really drives that home as we consider verse 2, that being outside of Christ is really being under um, all of these, uh, the unholy triad, if you will, of the, the world, the flesh, and the devil. If you look at verse 2, it says that we were dead in our trespasses following the course of this world. 
the world is our, the ways of society and culture that is um, hostile to God, that opposes the Lord, the whole system of walking death apart from God and the ungodly trends in our, in our cultures. And then there's also the flesh, verse 3, which is our natural inclinations apart from Christ. Ever since um, Genesis 3, our first parents, when they fell, all of the, the children, all the human race, we've, we've inherited this fallen nature and we have our sinful inclinations apart from Christ. And notice, though, that it can be the lusts of the flesh and of the mind. In Colossians 2.18, Paul references someone who is puffed up in his fleshly mind. So the flesh is not um, necessarily only our bodies, but um, it's our inclinations that are... Um, it's our inclinations that are against God. You can have a fleshly mind. So this can include um, younger brother types, sins of the flesh that we normally think of, going out and, and attending parties and um, drinking and, and all of that kind of stuff. But it also can be older brother types of sins, sins of the minds like pride and arrogance um, and envy. Older brothers are likewise dead in sins. Um, it's just that they're more prim and proper. It's, um, it's like they're still corpses, but they're, they're done up in nice suits and they have high-gloss caskets. These are sins of the mind like arrogance and envy. Um, and this whole project is being superintended by the devil. Um, in verse 2, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. And so we've got our, our sins and our, our trespasses, we have our um, sinful inclinations, we have the world system, and we have the devil who is working in the children of disobedience. So this is the flesh, the world, and the devil. And in the final analysis in verse 3, we are by nature children of wrath. John 3.36 tells us that if anyone does not believe in the Son, that the wrath of God abides, in him, abides on him. So we walk in the, the state of death, superintended by the devil, overseen by the world system, and buried under sins and trespasses. And we were all like this at some point. Whether we are in the church, outside of the church, young, old, black, white, tall, short, all of us at one point were absolutely stone dead and buried spiritually. And so what, what can we do? What will we do? Will we study our Bible more? Will we turn over a new leaf? Before Christ, we can't, we can't turn over a new leaf. We can't um, work up our uh, a system of righteousness because we're dead. Before Christ, we can't solve the problem because what verses 1 through 3 are teaching us is that we are the problem. The source of all the evil things we do is the fact, is the unflattering fact of the evil creatures we are. For what do the scriptures say? From within the heart of men proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, and so forth. All these evil things come from within and defile a man. So we don't need to do better. We don't need to try harder. We need to be something different. 
If the problem is death, we need a new nature, new loves, new desires. What we need is to be made alive. This is our problem before Christ. We need to be made alive. And then verse 4. But God. But God. The greatest transition in all of Scripture. Death, sin, Satan, trespasses, evil natures, but God. If anything other than God were after that transition, then we would be hopeless. Anything other than God after that transition would be hopeless because our state before Christ is spiritual death. The same power is needed in the conversion of a sinner is the same power that's needed to raise someone from the dead. And each of them demonstrate the omnipotence and the love of the one who can do it. We do not trust in ourselves, Paul says, but in God who raises the dead. And this is why Paul prays the Ephesians would know the greatness of his power toward us who believe because we need a God who is powerful enough to bring us to life. We're not going to turn over a new leaf. We need God to resurrect us. A few months ago, I was, um, I was talking with some Jehovah's Witness uh, missionaries had, had come to my door. And, and as we were talking and I had them in and what do you have to say and it, passing out their literature and so forth. And I asked, I asked one of them about his testimony, his, his conversion story. And everything he said was, was Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. He said, you know, he was a, a young man in his early 30s. He said, when I was, when I was younger, I was all about the, the sins of the flesh. I would go out every weekend. Um, I would drink with my buddies. I was um, addicted to pornography. I was, um, couldn't hold a job and, and so on and so forth. And he got all through Ephesians 1 through 2, 1 through 3. Um, I was dead in my trespasses and I, I couldn't get my life together. And then he had the transition. He said, but then I really started to work at it. I talked to my uncle, who I knew was in uh, the Jehovah's Witness Church, and he gave me some good self-help programs, and, um, and I really started to work at it. And, you know, I'm, I'm doing a little bit better. And now I'm, they have me going out and, and knocking on the doors with people, and, and I'm just encouraged that I'm, I'm doing good things, and God is going to bless me for, for turning over and doing good things. No, he's, he's never going to make it. We had, we had to stop and, and say, okay, but do you, have you been raised with Christ? Do you have a new nature? Are you looking to Christ in faith? You're, you're not going to do enough good deeds um, to make up for, for an entire dissolute life beforehand. You're not going to save yourself. You're not going to transform yourself. And he, he worked all the way through the chapter, and then he got to the transition. But instead of but God, it was but I. And my great fear for... for Many people is, but I'm going to turn over a new leaf. But I'm going to get better next year. No, the same power that is needed to convert a sinner is what is needed to raise the dead. So look at verses 4, 5, and 6. But God, 
who is rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. He's raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Notice he says that we're alive together with Christ. He does not say we were dead in our trespasses and sins and God, um, God zapped us and made us alive together. Alive. He made us alive together with Christ, in him, united with him. Paul wants to ground our assurance of salvation by having us look to Christ in faith because we are in Christ by faith. So we're, we're united with him. We're united with him covenantally. He's our head. He's our representative. We're united to him vitally or mystically as spirit. He gives us his spirit to live in us. And one day we will be with him physically. We will be where he is and we will have resurrected bodies that are like his. We're alive together with Christ. So God did not just raise us from our spiritual death and recreate us. He recreated us when he recreated um, the whole world in Christ as Christ rose from the dead. It's Jesus's relationship with the Father that is our gospel and salvation that he has to share with us. God places us in Christ and we are to look at ourselves and our salvation in Christ. So how do I know, how do we know that God's wrath is no longer towards us. I look at Christ, and I see that it was poured out on me in the cross. How do I know that I'm no longer dead in trespasses and sins? I look at Jesus, who is raised from the dead, because I'm in Christ. How do I know that I'm no longer under the dominion of Satan? I look at Jesus, seated at the right hand of God, far above all principality and power in this age and in the age to come. We look at Christ because God has placed us in Christ. And that's why Paul says um, that he has made us alive together with Christ. That's the resurrection from the dead. He has raised us up together. It's the feeding of our nature and seated us in the heavenly places, far above all rule and power. We're no longer under the dominion of the spirit, uh, prince of the power of the air under Satan because we were raised with Christ and seated with him in the heavenly places. So we're not to look for the blessings of God outside of Christ. God does not have um, holiness or mercy or forgiveness or grace out there that he, that he tears off and, and gives to us like it's metaphysical bread dough or something that we, we want. No, instead... Um, he gives us Christ and all of the blessings of God, as it says in, in the first chapter of Ephesians, that God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly paces in Christ. It's not that we needed salvation, so Jesus did some stuff out over here so that God could now raise us from the dead or give us righteousness or things like that. It's that he unites us, he puts us in Christ, and then what happens to Christ happens to us. We do not need a thing called life. We need Jesus who said, I am the life. We don't need a way back to God. Jesus is the way. We don't need a thing called forgiveness. We need to be united vitally and covenantally to the Son of God so that as he bore the weight of sin on the cross, every ounce of wrath that God had against you was expended. 
God himself came in human flesh in Jesus Christ. And he did so, so that the old and dead you would die to sin and death. Our old identity was slaughtered and speared and buried with Christ. Jesus had to go to death because that's where we were. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, Jesus came, the, the answer to the question, well, why did Jesus have to die? Why couldn't he be a moral example for us? Jesus had to come and die because we were in the state of death. He didn't come and die because we had done a few things that were wrong. He had to come and die because we were dead. We were in trespasses and sins. And he needed to go there and get us. And so he came. He took on human flesh. He came to the world and then he bore our sins um, and the wrath of God on the cross. And when he had descended all the way to the grave, he was at the point where we were spiritually. He was dead. And then God made us alive together with Christ. He raised us up with him. So look at Jesus because you are in him. That's where you are. Looking to God in Christ is infinitely more satisfying than trying to do theology or life disconnected from Jesus. Disconnected from Jesus, righteousness is the concept that God treats me like I never sinned. Or the resurrection is that one day God will make us, uh, make us alive again. Faithful theology, theology that looks at Christ always ends in doxology and worship and praise. Theology that's faithful to Jesus Christ says things like, I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. But this also leads us to live very different lives as we will see in verses 7 through 10. Look with me at that. Verse 7 says, In the ages to come, why did he, God do this? So that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This then is the design that God had in raising us from the dead in Christ and seating us with him. It was to show the magnificence of his love and his grace and power. There's always the question asked, what, what is God like? And these verses teach us that even when we were dead, God loved us. Even when we were in trespasses and sins, God from all eternity loved you with the love of Jesus Christ. And as this should be apparent by now in our state of death and our inability to do anything pleasing apart from Jesus, this is all of grace, which is what it teaches us in verse 8. Faith is the instrument by which we receive God's grace, but God, knowing our sinful propensity for boasting, made sure that even that was a gift. So we're not working to present anything to God. Rather, we are the work that God is doing we were recreated in Christ for good works. So we are not saved by our good works, but we are saved to them in Christ. And we are to walk in them just as we used to walk in trespasses and sins. 
Now we were created in Christ Jesus for good works that we should walk in them. And what are the good works that we should do? What are the good works that we are to walk in? Well, that's, that's the whole rest of the letter. That's chapters 4, 5, and 6. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Wives, submit to your own husbands in the Lord. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Forgive one another. Be tender-hearted. Be kind to one another. Paul's going to have a whole section of the letter um, that will enumerate for us how we are to live out this life in Christ. The works for each one of us were predestined and just as predestined and planned as our salvation. God knew that you would be born in a certain time, in a certain place, that he would work in your life in a certain time, in a certain way to raise you with Christ, and you would be in this community. And in this community, there are people to forgive, and there are people to bless, and there are people to work with and get along with and, and put together, put into practice everything from, from four to six. And God knew that you would be here and he's given you these people to work out your life in Christ with. And this applies to all of us, from the youngest to the oldest to the kids. The kids aren't, you're not going to, to grow up and, um, you know, have this apply to you someday. There's an entire section of the letter applied just for kids to work out their life in Christ. So our union with Christ, though, I want you to notice, again, how we, we never get away from this idea of our union with Christ. In verse 10, we are as workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Even when Paul is thinking about the Christian life and high moral standards, it's not separated from being in Christ. Our salvation is not separated from being in Christ, and the, the works that we do afterward are not separated from being in Christ. And this is, how, this is how high theology and Christian living go together. Um, Paul will, will often do this, and he does this in the book of Ephesians, where uh, the first part of the letter is just extolling Christ and showing you the riches and the glory of Christ, that he is the fullness of God um, dwelling bodily, that he is above all principalities and powers, that he is the creator of the universe, that all things are for him and by him and through him, and everything is for Jesus, and the angels worship Jesus. And he wants to show you the magnificence and the glory of Christ, and then the turn, just like we have here in chapter 2, and you are in him, and you are in Christ. And so how does, that, how does that connect with Christian living? How does that connect with high standards? Well, Paul loves to say, say things basically saying, this is true, now act like it's true. This is what Christ is like. You are in Christ, act like it. This is the whole second half of the letter. Jesus is alive from the dead. Jesus is above all principalities and powers. Jesus has the spirit poured out on him. All blessings of God are in Christ and through him, and you are in him, so live like it. You are in him, so act like it. This is just a sampling. There's more throughout the, throughout the whole epistle, but I just found a few examples. In, in chapter 4, verse 1, he says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. He doesn't say, I, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you guys to get along because it's the right thing to do. It is the right thing to do. But he says, walk worthy of your calling in Christ. 
he, he tells us to put away lying and let each one of you speak the truth with one another. Why? Because you're members of one another, he says, in Christ. You're members of one another, so don't lie. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, and forgiving one another. Why? Even as God in Christ forgave you. Walk as children of the light. For once you are darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Why? For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. So this is how the theology of being in Christ and Christian living go together. And this is why we can't separate the blessings that God has for us, like righteousness, like forgiveness, the grace, the power of the Holy Spirit, our theology, all of these very good things, we cannot separate them from Christ. Just like in our, in our lives, in our Christian living, we can't separate it from Christ. We, um, we're not going to just get the right checklist and make it work. We need to look at, at the way that we live, the way that we believe, the theology that we hold, how we love one another, has to all be within reference to Jesus, the person and the work of Jesus Christ. We are in him. So the Christian life, our faith, our hope, and the gospel message is Jesus Christ himself from first to last. My prayer is that as we look to him in faith, we will see all of the goodness that God has for us in him, that our hearts would be strengthened and we would live worthy of our calling in him. Please pray with me. Father, grant us, O Lord, a true and abiding faith in your Son, Jesus, that we would find all of our blessings and all of our life in him and walk worthy of our calling. Empower us by your Spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.